you will meet me in Acts chapter 11. Uh, this, this passage was n- not one that I would have picked on my own um, because it messed me up and convicted me, and I'm still walking through this. So as I preach, I'm preaching from a posture that says, I need you, Jesus. So let's stand and read the word of God together. Uh, we'll start together, and you guys can continue on. Let's begin at chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So we're going to talk about the theme of moving with the mission of God today. Moving with the mission of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as um, broken, frail uh, humans that have experienced the touch of grace that we saw with Brother Mark, Lord. You are kind to us. You're gracious to us. Father, thank you that you would give us your word Thank you. You gave us a compass. You gave us your spirit. Lord, so I pray that through your word that you would be exalted, that Jesus would be lifted high, that you, Holy Spirit, would illuminate your revelation to our souls. Father, so we're excited about your word. We're excited what you're doing. Lord, I pray that indeed the words of my mouth and every single meditation of my heart, you know them all will be pleasing unto you, O Lord God, my rock, my redeemer, our God, in whom we trust, we look to. And so thank you, Lord. May our hearts be still, where there might be distractions, where we might have worries. May the worship that we sing remind us that you are near and you are Adonai. Lord, we're excited. Thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So how many of y'all have been in a situation where you've had a life circumstance, you've had an issue, you've had something that you've wrestled with, and all of a sudden that one thing eclipses everything else in life? All right. Think about that. There's these issues. So oftentimes in life, we have something that happens that uh, impedes upon our ability to see the big picture. Now when I say big picture... I'm not talking about some little thing that, okay, these Christians have made up another story, right, to try to make sense or to add as a crutch, as many religious studies professors would say, would add a crutch to make sense of life. I'm talking about a story that is defined and and put forth by God himself. All right, so we have these things. For me, it was when I, when I was about seven years old, my kidneys stopped to work. They stopped working. They stopped growing. And I'm thinking, God, what happened here? I mean, there's no, there's no history in my family of kidney disease. So the fact that at six or seven, health is messed up, and my kidneys are shot, size of quarters not working. And I remember wrestling with the Lord, like, Lord, what is going on here? So what I began to see, my life began to be consumed with this one thing. And I remember after, praise God, my dad gave me a kidney when I was eight years old. And I remember a couple years after that, I had all these side effects from the medication. If anybody's had a transplant and takes immunosuppressive medications, you know that you get, like, when I was in third grade, I was pudgy from the, from the medicine and I had hair all over my arms. Now, third graders don't have any hair except on the top of their head. 
right? So, but that was, for me, that was an all-consuming thing, that that was something that eclipsed my ability. I didn't know what was going on. God, what are you doing here? I knew something about him, but I didn't know him. So I remember my parents uh, pointing me to the scriptures and so forth. So I remember I sat down. Have you all have done that where you're like, God, I need an answer? <laughs> and you just throw it down, you open the Bible. It's not always the best thing to do, but yo, sometimes it works. Like, <laughs> I remember Jesus, because I didn't know him. But I remember he led me to John chapter 9, where the disciples were walking with Christ. They run into the man born blind. And they're wondering, who sinned to make this guy born like this? Jesus is like, that's not it. He was born like this, so the works of God would be made known and manifest in his life. Jesus had a purpose for it. And at that moment, God began to open my eyes beyond my, my small micro picture of my stuff, and he spoke to that painful situation. He spoke to the confusion, and he allowed me to see glimpses of the bigger picture. And that's what happens is that we have this big picture. So listen, what is this big picture that we often get eclipsed from? We talk about this a lot in, uh, at Epiphany about the idea of image bearers. In the beginning, God created man and woman. Right? He created them in his image. So as image bearers, they were supposed to reflect God's character and glory in everything they did. Okay? So the way they worked, the way they did marriage and family, the way they related with one another, the way that they interacted with strangers, the way they, they did all this stuff was to reflect the glory of God and the characteristics of God. So everything was to multiply an increasing amount of God's glory and the weightiness of his character in, in the earth. You tracking? So here's what happens, though. That's the big picture. It's about God. It's about his glory being spread throughout the globe. It's about him doing what he does, right? And him creating, not because he was insufficient, but he was, he was fully satisfied within himself as a triune God. But he created out of an overflow of his love so that we might experience who he is. And yet here's what we did. We say, ah, we give him this. Maybe I can know like God knows. Genesis 3, we reach beyond our limits and we try to take to say, man, this all of a sudden becomes about me, becomes about my microcosmic reality, and it's about what I want to do. It's about my ambitions. And so what the big picture all of a sudden was eclipsed to where now it's about what I can do. And so then you track this sense of man now amplifies this more and more. We go to Genesis chapter 11 where you have the Tower of Babel. What man does now is man unites around their little tiny mission of what they want to do, and in rebellion to God, which God said, be fruitful, multiply, inhabit the earth, like, go and subdue it, make it all look like my glory, my characteristics, because then everything will be satisfied, there will be joy, there will be peace, there will be everything will reflect God's glory, but then we go and build a, a tower, and say, you know what, I, I, want, I want to do what I want to do, so man was united around their purpose, and not God's, and they were eclipsed from seeing the big picture. And I think the beautiful thing, go to, uh, well, you don't have to go there, stay in Acts. I want to read something. The fall happens, and everything that's happening is built, it's experiencing sin and death, right? People are taking lordship of their own lives. People are creating their own realities. People are trying to speak things into existence, they are not God's word. They're trying to do their own thing. Follow? And here's what happens. Then God continues trying to work through Israel. I want to show off my glory to you. I want to show off my glory. No, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to do our own thing. I want to show off my glory through you. No, we're going to do our own thing. Here, here's what he said. In the, and here's what happens. God says, all right, I know. And, and before the foundation of the world, we knew this. And here's what he does in Ephesians chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. In him, we have redemption. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, the church, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in who? Jesus Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the uniting that was trying to be back here was countered God, eclipsing with all their agendas, eclipsed what they could do, and now Jesus is like, all right, God the Father's like, okay, you're good, it's time to go, boom, now, now's the time. In the fullness of time, he comes, and all of a sudden, 
we now, in Christ, can be united back to God's original mission. The way we as all humans, this is the meta-narrative, the whole narrative in which every other story fits. This is it. So he unites saying, now I'll bring you back to what I called you to, and you will have joy in that. And so what happens is that in the book of Acts, as we get into the Acts, a little background here. Acts uh, is a book where you see a lot of this happening, God working through frail humans, right, to restore and do what he does. But what he does is uh, God is bringing the mission back, and through the Spirit, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them in verse 6, I think it is, to, for the disciples, once he raises from the dead, raised back at the right hand of the Father, he tells them, wait for me, right? Wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit, okay? Because you're prone, without my work, to wild out and do your own thing, right? I am. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes and unite. He regenerates them, unites them with the work of Christ. And now Christ pours out the promised Holy Spirit. And the people who once were trying to do our own thing because we had these things that eclipse from the big picture now are united together and eyes can be opened to the big picture of what God is doing in Christ through his church by the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. Then he says to them, he gives them a mission. And here's one I want to start with a theme. I have one point today with a lot of subpoints. Um, my one point is to move with the mission of God. To move with the mission of God. See, we're back on mission, but to move with the mission of God, one theme, here it goes, we must remember the call to discipleship, which is bigger than you. To move with the mission of God, we must remember the call to discipleship, which is bigger than you. In Acts 1.8, I'm just going to quote this, stay in Acts 11. 1.8 talks about then he gives them a specific mission. Here's his call back to discipleship. Here's what he's saying. You're going to be now be on my bigger mission, church, full of the Spirit. You're going to be in my mission. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, where else? Samaria, and to uttermost parts of the world. Remember those four, because this comes up again. Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. This is, the, this is the mission to which God had called them. The bigger story is Jesus is uniting all things, whether in heaven or on earth, in him through the blood of his cross. And that's what God is up to. He's redeeming. He's restoring. It's bigger than us. So here's, here's what it goes into. And let's go, go to uh, the Acts passage now. We'll start in, in light of that. Chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Stop. So what is this persecution that happened? In order to understand this persecution, something's happening. Acts, Acts 8 is a key pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. Acts is this narrative on which God is, is seeking to form his people by his spirit in line with the mission of Jesus, right? Frail people that have messed up, jacked up in need of grace. And God is, is forming them in. So in Acts 8... This persecution happens in chapter 1. They begin to happen 1 through 5. They're seeing in Jerusalem stuff happening. Thousands of people are coming to know Christ, right? Stuff's just happening for the kingdom. The big picture's happening. Chapter 6 is key because Stephen comes on the picture, and what he begins to talk about is saying, yo, like, God doesn't just dwell in the temple, because in, in the time, uh, you, you had the covenant, right? You had the, the, the Torah, the law that, that formed the people of God, Israelites, right? The Jews, and then you had circumcision that set them apart as the people of God. Okay, you tracking? All right, so that's, that was going on in the context. And so when he comes and says, yo, God is not, God, God doesn't just, he quotes the scripture, he's like, God does not just dwell, he doesn't need to dwell with buildings that are built by man. That's a shock to them. Because he's saying, God is up to something so much greater, and you're stuck right here. You're stuck right here, which only pointed to something greater. And he implies this fact that Jesus is the presence of God. And he poured his spirit out, so God dwells among his people now, and we are the temple. We are being built up as the church. So he's, he's challenging. So at that point, they did not like that. They did not like the fact what Stephen did. So in chapter 7, you see him give the speech, and then they persecute him. They stone that dude to death. 
And here's what he says about this scattering and persecution. Chapter 8, and, the, and there arose on that day, and by the way, Saul was the one who approved of this. Get back to that. Who will be named Paul. Okay, we'll get back to that. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Skip down to verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So you have, all of a sudden, the church is being persecuted. But the unique thing is that, where are they scattered to? Judea and Samaria. You see that? Intentional. God used the persecution to move his people where he wanted them. God does not waste persecution. God does not waste our suffering. For the children of God, as, as was quoted earlier, I think Pastor Larry quoted this with the Romans 8, um, is that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. God does not waste it. So we see that persecution oftentimes is the context of discipleship. If you are learning to walk with Jesus, you will have persecution. College students, you might get messed up by your faculty or by your professor because you profess Jesus. Your friends might say, ah, that doesn't even matter. Like, what are you talking about? Religion's a crutch that you use, right? On your job, you're trying to work with in integrity, and they're like, why do you work? And they're like, yo, I love Jesus, right? And they're like, ah, whatever, right? Like, you might, you might face a lot of different things in life, but God will use persecution oftentimes to get us where he wants us. And I think here's the, the, one, of the one of the realities of this is that throughout history, the enemy has tried to thwart God's people all the time. Throughout history, the enemy has sought to thwart God's people. I mean, you could look in when, when Israel was in Egypt, right, and they were being oppressed. They said, yo, Pharaoh's like, yo, do something away. They had to make bricks. He's like, take away the straw, right, so that they could make bricks without it. Like, that's almost impossible. Because he's like, they're growing too numerous. They're getting too great for me because God's fulfilling his purpose and growing his people. So in the midst of the oppression, he's saying, yo, like, you guys need to do this. But then... The Lord uses that, and they keep, they keep multiplying. And then he delivers them with these great signs, which is a motif of how our God is victorious, Lord Adonai overall. Right? It's this glimpse of God is Lord, God is Lord, God is Lord. And he's trying to show that off, right? And so um, that's the beauty of it, is God continues to do that. But here's the thing. Not only does God use persecution to accomplish his mission, but he also uses it to surface things in our hearts that may hinder us from mission. So I'm going to verse 19. It says, speaking, these people that were scattered from this persecution, they spoke the word to no one except Jews. Now, Don, what's the big deal about that? At least they were speaking the word, right? What is the big deal about them just being scattered and only speaking to the Jews? Here's the thing that we got to know is we've already seen that the call, of, call in Acts 1-8 is to follow Jesus where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, if you also look at Mark 16-15, Jesus says, go preach the gospel to, to all the world and to every, all the creatures, to every creature. Like basically, preach the gospel to all people. And that also says, Jesus also says that in Matthew 24, 14. See, throughout time, God was concerned about seeing the nations come to him and glorify him because that's part of his big picture. And yet what happened is the trap is to go into our comfort areas where it's all about me and it eclipses God's bigger mission. So then God reminds and says, okay, here's your mission. Now you're the new people and your mission by his teachings were to all nations. Now, the interesting thing, Luke, you got to realize Luke is the author of Acts. So he wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Here's something interesting about him. Chronologically, he could have put chapter 11 that we just read, 19 through 26, after chapter 8, what we just read. Why didn't he? he it's so interesting. He deliberately places this, not just accurate history, but he's making a point, a theological point of what God is calling his people and what he wants, what he wants to teach us. Because it, put it in chapter 11, after chapter 8, you have people actually going to where? Judea and Samaria, right? You see that? 
at in the, the 8 9 area, then you see Saul's conversion right, to Christ, the one who actually did the persecution. Then in chapter 10, you see Cornelius' conversion by Peter, and he was, not, he, he was a Gentile. So God deliberately makes it, and then in the, in the beginning of chapter 11, he also shows that the church affirms clearly and testifies that the gospel is going forth to the Gentiles. So if the gospel is going to the Gentiles, why did they just go to the Jews? They didn't talk to anybody except the Jews. Why? What held them back from going to the Gentiles? Here's three questions I have that maybe it could have been. Was it fear of different forms of persecution? I can imagine. They just got persecuted, right? Um, and going to the, if they went to the Gentiles, the Jews would, would reject them. The, the church was still wrestling with this, as we see in Acts 15. So they might have been ostracized. They might have been rebuked. Like, they had all these fears, like, well, whatever it is, right? Number two, was it fear of an unknown culture? Was it an unknown culture? They just had a fear about, I don't, I don't know about these Gentiles. Was it deep, or this one is the, the, the gritty one, which is real, was it deep ethnocentrism and racism, thinking that salvation was not for those people? You see, the tragedy here is that while Luke makes it clear that God's mission and plan is to proclaim the gospel to all nations because of the picture of God's big story and his mission, the tragedy is that they didn't see it. God is at work in Acts 1 through the beginning part of 11. People are coming to know him, and what they do, they went to the Jews only. They didn't see it. And so this is not unlike us. We wrestle with these things. And Luke's making it clear that it's times like this when we need to be called back to discipleship. Called back to an understanding of discipleship with the big picture. You see, because God is working all around us. He's working in your family. It may seem crazy. I'm going to censor my language. It may seem ridiculous. He's at work in your campus. Your friends that you're just like, yo, this dude will never come to Christ. Well, what do you do to Saul? This teacher will never see. This teacher always blasts me. This faculty member always blasts me when I try to write a paper that is representing a Christian worldview but doing good work for that class. The neighborhood. Man, I got a neighbor that is just, you know, killing me, but God is working on them. We see Brother Mark. God is at work. Do we see him? I'll never forget this image. I was driving down to Chick-fil-A to get some food for the family. And I, I remember it was raining, and I drove by this bus stop, and I saw these, these two women. One was kind of a, a, an older woman. One was a younger woman. And it was pouring. It's raining pretty hard, right? So the older one has like a big umbrella, right? Big old umbrella. Like not those little ones you pop up. This joint was big, like a golf one, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it was huge. Now, but here's the thing. Like there was this, she was there, and this other, this other younger lady was sitting here like this, shaking and getting soaking wet, doesn't even have a jacket on, no hooded, no nothing, getting wet. And I'm thinking, my first thought is, why are you not sharing your umbrella right now? Like, that's not cool. But then, <laughs> like, that's not even, I almost been like, I'm like, man, I need to go buy some umbrellas at the dollar store and start handing them out when I see that kind of stuff. Like, but then the Lord began to get at my soul, like, tell me, where are you not sharing your umbrella? Where are you missing the big picture of what I'm doing around you? And so what keeps us from seeing what God is up to? So whether, you're a grown, whether you grew up in Philly all your life or whether you're a college student and has recently come in or a young professional has moved into the city, I want you to take a minute to think about these questions. What causes a disconnect for you? Is it fear of being dogged or hated? Is it fear of the unknown of a different culture? Is it fear that says, I'm not good enough? You might have some reservations about, like, how, does Jesus really love me? Is the gospel really true? Um, insecurities. Is it fear that Jesus will not be enough or somehow he will hold back from you? That was the temptation of the evil one in Satan in, in Genesis 3. Is it deep-seated ethnocentrism, which when amplified is racism? Saying things like, those people aren't worthy of God's grace. 
Those people aren't worthy of love and affection. Those people irritate me. So is, is, it, is it that you've had a bad experience with someone, the church, or you have gone through a painful experience where God didn't seem to meet you? Is it unforgiveness and bitterness that has suddenly crept up in your heart from a hurt relationship or someone who did you wrong? Or is it personal ambition, just rebellion against God? You see, the root of all this is having a difficult time knowing, realizing, and believing that Jesus is actually Lord. That he's actually Lord over all. He's God in flesh, raised, resurrected Lord over all who rules and reigns. So sometimes, see, we can be familiar with Christ but not know him. We can dabble into just enough to ease our conscience, but unless we know who he is and yield to him, our, uh, our life and, and, and what we do is we interpret what we should do in life and how we make decisions. So if Jesus is not Lord, you're being shaped by other things. See, and that's not the, the life of a believer is to be shaped by the Spirit of God through the Scriptures and the Lordship of Christ. That's the life of the believer. But if you're, not, if you're not experiencing who Christ is, you're being shaped by everything else that you grew up with, everything else that comes to your mind, all the media that feeds you all the time. And so when we lose sight of the Lord Jesus, you do not see him for who he is and his sufficiency, then every other thing in our life will by fault shape us. This often leads us to become apathetic to the gospel and its implications for us and all people, and we settle for our agenda under the guise of the kingdom of God. Here's a beautiful thing about our Lord. This part, should, it pulls at our souls. God, where, where am I missing the big picture? Where do I not see the goodness and loving kindness of the Lord? Where do I not see it? And, and here's the thing is God, in his, God is faithful to work his stuff out. God faithfully provides for his big picture and his mission. And so you, you see, going to verse 20, but, when you see the but, it's like, it's exciting, like, yo, this is about to be tight. Ephesians, right, talks about that, that idea. We were born in the sin, according, all this kind of stuff. But God, who's rich, so he says, but, this is where we get excited, there were some of them who were scattered, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. See, note that these men, they remain nameless. I don't know if you thought about that. Think about the implications. These men were nameless. God used ordinary people who knew the lordship of Jesus, who rested in that, who found their satisfaction in that, who went in line because God is faithfully moving his people, right? So they're going. Jesus says in uh, John 12, John 12, 26, he says, he who serves me must follow me. And where, my serv- where, where, uh, where I am, my servant will be as well. And then after that, he talks about going to the cross. So the reality is, Jesus, when we're walking with Jesus and experience the goodness and the lordship, Jesus will lead you along the big picture. That's what he did. He didn't use these guys that went here. You saw the, you saw the pastors, apostles, shepherds. You saw the deacons. But right here, these dudes are none of them. They are just believers who know the lordship of Jesus, and they are walking with Jesus, and great things happen. That, like, we are mission. Every one of you is a missionary. If you're in Christ, been born anew, you are a missionary as a part of this mission of God. Even if there's an eclipse, you are his missionary. And so that's the beautiful thing about our God is he, he doesn't work like the world works. He works how he does for his glory. So what is it about these ordinary men that was different from the previous believers? What was different? Well, here's the thing. They, they spoke to the Hellenists, and they preached the Lord Jesus. Now, in them speaking to the Hellenists, you got to understand some of this. In order to speak of the Hellenists, they had to deal with idols in their lives that hindered them from being Christ's missionaries. Because in Antioch, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. If you know the Roman Empire, what happens with the Roman Empire is you had this thing called the imperial cults. And Caesar was known as Lord. Caesar was known as the son of God, and it was Caesar that you worshipped. And as long as you abided under the imperial cult, you were cool. You had peace. That's what Pax Romana is. You had peace at that point. 
But if you went against Caesar's Lord, you were seen as an enemy of the state. So for them to come in as these, 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 these Jews, right, but they were from different areas, they had some different, you know, Greco-Roman cultural influences, for them to go in and say that, gee, they preach not only Jesus, who do they preach? The Lord Jesus. For them to preach that Jesus is Lord meant you about, you could get your head cut off. Something in them came alive that, that wakened them up to the mission of God, to the bigger story that was beyond just the difficult persecution they had experienced because they saw God's hand was in it and at work. That's what our redeeming God does. He gets us on this mission. So then we ask, well, what would prompt them to proclaim one Lord? I mean, this is kind of crazy. So what would prompt them? See, to counter other lords and idols, they had to know the Lord of all. The way that you deal with idols, the way that you deal with going and turning to broken cisterns to deal with your issues. Man, I'm going to be real. The, the way you deal with pornography Women, the way you deal with, I got to go get this dude because I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm in pain. The way we deal with that is we look to the sufficiency in the Lordship of Jesus. Self-help will not help because that's trying to make it a tower. You got to look to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who can only heal your soul and put you back what you were created to do. That's what the mission of God is. They weren't even called Christians yet. They were dudes that understood the grace of God. They were transformed where they began to walk in the newness of life. So that's why they went, because they experienced the Lordship of Jesus, which is an exclusive title. Jesus is Lord means that he is owner and ruler of all things. He, does not, he, he doesn't coexist with other lords, and, and, and he's cool with it. It's not like this worldview today, I'm so concerned. We are so confused about who Jesus is. We are so confused. I, I talked to a student the other day, and the, the thing they t- talk about, which got me, is like, well, I would consider myself, you know, consider myself a, a, a Christian. But the hard thing is that there's so much, and I don't, I don't blame this student, right? But the reality is, say, well, I, you know, I think I could read the Quran and follow that just as well and, like, still be a Christian. We are confused, y'all. What it is to be a Christian. These people, they were concerned about the names. They, they just walked with Jesus, there's no rival, there's no other God that is his equal because Jesus is Lord and all things can only be brought back under his rule and his reign. And so I think if we have a distorted view of Jesus, it's easy to see him as someone who allows you to have idols coexisting. You come to church and you have idols and you're all right with it. And that's all right. You know what? God says, yo, come as you're broken. But the problem is, is that when we've known Jesus over and over and over, and we know him, but then we still work with other things, and we think nothing's wrong with it. It's one thing to struggle with your sin, and that's good. When you struggle, and you're like, like with Brother Mark, as Pastor Larry was talking about, that brother struggled, but he was seeing, he was repenting, he was seeing Jesus. Like, God was at work in him. And so Jesus is Lord over all means. That's what some of the things it means. Take, Jesus takes sin very seriously. Jesus is now the presence of God where it used to be the temple. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the only one who lived a perfectly righteous life and who rules and reigns with perfect justice and righteousness. That's what we all desire, but we try to find it in our microcosmic way of interpreting life. So we're thinking, if I can make it better, if I can get more money, if I can get a nice car, if I can get a girl, if I can get a dude, if I can get married, if I can get a kid, if I can get a degree, if I'm out of debt, and all those things are good when they're in context. However, we need to know that our deepest desire is to have this Lord who reigns with justice and righteousness, unlike any other king, right? And that, that's, that's this Lord. Jesus is the only one who can quench the deepest yearnings and hunger that we try to quench in every other way. Jesus is the only one, only way to the Father. Jesus is the only one who could absorb the wrath of God, and Jesus is the only one who we can be, by whom we can be forgiven. 
You see, because when we see the implications of Christ's lordship in our life, we find the deepest sense of our yearning satisfied. We find the, the king of kings who rules over all, who created all, and who holds all things together. We find satisfaction in him. And as we find satisfaction in him, it makes sense to say, if anybody come after me, deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Because Christ is Lord, and the more that we follow him and find life in him, the more satisfied we're going to be. That's the invitation. That's the call back to say, yo, I will meet you in those microcosmic ways, but let me speak into your situation and show you that this is bigger than you. And the more you see the satisfaction in Jesus, the more content you'll be. I don't know if you've been unsatisfied in something and then you get something. So like, for instance, say that for Christmas, you got an iPad. You're like, yo, like, I'm cool. Like, I'm so happy now. But then a week goes by. <laughs> what else can I get? What else can I get? What else can I get? <laughs> that's, that's, and the reality is Christ is the only one who does that. And he, he when we're walking with him, here's, here's what he does, the beauty of verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with him, with them, these men who preached Jesus to the Hellenists, the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You see, they, they learned to be about the big picture. And God's hand, which symbolizes power and authority, he, it was with them. His favor was upon them. They experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, they saw a lot of people believe and turn to the Lord. Have you guys thought about the fact that they have, they could have just said uh, they believed. Why did they add tur- and turn to the Lord? See, sometimes we, we can believe, but what is our belief? Belief is not just I say something, but everything in my life does not match up to it. That's the call back. The way to fight is the lordship of Jesus, and he's calling us back to say, y'all, like, I have something great. Pastor Mason has been preaching this and seeing God's hand of favor, and he's calling us saying, God, look, God is up to something where we are. He is blessing his hand of blessing. We don't want each and every one of us to miss out on this. Jesus is up to something, and it's bigger than us. See, because they, when they turn to the Lord, there's, a, there's this sense of you're walking here and turning. It's like, yo, all right, I'm going this way. It's not like, okay, cool, well, I'll add kind of these two together. It's turning. Because that's when you see the lordship of Christ and him ruling and reigning. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, and we'll see that with Barnabas. But the reality is they turn. And I can't help but thinking, here's a, here's a connection. Um, I, and I'm getting humbled by speaking to Mikhail, our daughter. And I hear this all the time. Like, kids pick up more what they see than what you teach them. So I can't help but to think, here are these people who knew, had no Jewish background. They were Greek, non-speaking, uh, non-Jewish, non non yeah, non-Jewish speaking believers, one of that. Anyways, people that didn't know, they weren't a part of the Torah, and they didn't, they didn't know Jesus. They believe, right, they believe and they turn. I can't help but know the people who actually preached the gospel, what were they doing? They had turned because they knew that Jesus was their Lord, and they were resting in that, and they were willing to risk their life because Jesus was Lord. So they modeled, these people are like, you know, people, you collect, like, look, the stuff I learned from the pastor said, the, the stuff that we learned from each other, the stuff that hopefully Michaela's going to learn from me, Lord willing, to imitate it, right, is, it, it catches, right? So you can't just say something, people are going to see your life. And so that's the reality about these people, when they lived the lordship of the Lord, they saw the favor of the Lord, and then they saw God at work, and lives were transformed, consistent with the big picture. If we want to make disciples that get the big picture, we need to trust Jesus to live the big picture. We got to see beyond the, 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 the small things that sometimes we magnify. When we live in submission to Christ's lordship, we are empowered to live this life. Go to verse 22. You see, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. See, the interesting thing about Barnabas, he's a fascinating character in Scripture. We don't want to be like Barnabas. We want to be like Christ to the degree that Barnabas was like Christ. We learn and we say, yes, I want that. Okay? Barnabas, so we don't, all don't have the gift, a high gift of encouragement, but we're all called to certain specific things that we see within a narrative that are consistent with the teachings of Christ and the, and the rest of his word. So Barnabas in Acts 4.36 says that uh, 
Barnabas was originally named Joseph. Did y'all know that? Acts 4.36, Barnabas' name was Joseph. Because of his life and his service and what he did in Acts 4.36 and selling one of his properties, giving it to the proceeds, so on and so on, um, they named him, the apostles named him Barnabas. He didn't seek a name for himself. The apostles named him Barnabas, son of encouragement. See, he was living in light of the lordship of Christ. It was bigger than him. Acts 9, 26 through 30, remember Saul, the one who sparked the persecution and approved of it in Acts 8? Saul, who was converted in Acts 9, and now him being Paul, um, the church didn't trust him. I mean, if someone's going and killing your people, and they come like, ah, hey, I'm here to, like, to serve you. I mean, come on. <laughs> right? I mean, think about that. So, but Barnabas, see, the church is like, yo, like this dude is slain. He's putting us in prison. We don't want anything to do with him. But Barnabas goes and sees what God is up to. Barnabas sees what God is up to. He grabs Saul and says, no. He vouches for him. This dude is legit. This dude, here's what happened. And so at that point, the, the, the church brought him in. Barnabas saw beyond himself. Verse 23, here's what else. Barnabas, so they, they send a delegation because among the Gentiles, Growth is happening. God's hand is upon it. And so um, they sent Barnabas because this was Barnabas' character. He would go into these new areas. He would see what God is doing. He had been proven on that. And so when he, Barnabas, saw the grace of God, he was glad. See, Barnabas recognized and affirmed the work of God in others because he saw the bigger picture. See, the thing is, is they weren't, Antioch was not refined. How many of y'all were like perfectly refined when you came to know Jesus? <laughs> I, I was trifling. I still am today sometimes. <laughs> like, see what I'm saying? Barnabas saw beyond the fact that this was not a, this was not an ethical culture in Antioch. There was prostitution cults all over the place. And so Barnabas went in, he saw the glimpse of God and saying, God is at work. With brother, brother Mark, God is at work. How can we walk alongside this? He didn't turn his nose up. He said, no, God is doing something. How can I see it and get beyond myself? God is up to something. See, he's more concerned with God's than his own. Uh, in 1125, in chapter, go down to verse 25, it explains how once revival in Antioch occurred, he went down to get who? Saul. Here's the interesting thing. Saul becomes Paul. Paul becomes one of the heroes of the faith, as we see in the epistles. Barnabas was willing, because he was more concerned about teaching and making disciples, Barnabas went and got Saul, who had greater leadership potential, and he lifted and gave Saul an opportunity to develop. And so Saul ends up being, Paul ends up being this great missionary. See, Barnabas was not concerned about his name. So practical application for Barnabas, he recognized it in others who are rough in their journey. They recognize how God may be using others in the process, and he recognized that it's bigger than any single one of us. As we near to the end in verse 23, not only did, was he able to see what God was up to, because he, 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 he saw the lordship of Christ, he experienced it. It's how God wired and gifted him. He also exhorted, or in other words, he urged and axed earnestly them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, with purpose of heart, with the core of who you are. Because Barnabas knew the temptations to be pulled back into the life that was disjointed with God's picture. Barnabas knew the lords that would, that would seek to come in and coexist. Barnabas knew all these things, so he had to then begin to say, okay, now guys, I want to ex exhort you. It's not like, oh yeah, cool, will you do this? No, like in Jesus' name, I plead with you. <laughs> like there's this urging, and here's what he said. He said, yo, remain true to the Lord with purpose of heart. Because that's where you're going to find your joy. That's when you're going to find your big picture. It's not about a big picture you can create. You're only creating another small picture that's going to leave you empty. He's <laughs> about getting on with his big picture to declare Jesus to the nations and to our backyard. And that's what he wanted to encourage them, to remain faithful and true to Jesus. 
Because that city needed gospel witness. Our city needs gospel witness. Our elementary schools right across the street that are begging for hall monitors for sixth graders that are ditching class and doing stuff. For the college campuses where you have maybe three to 400 in campus ministries at Temple and there's up to 38,500 students in the Temple system. To a lot of stuff in our local community where you have kids down, we have stuff starting down in Carnaductory, but the youth are having tension with the police. Like, God, help us. Our community needs you. It's bigger than us. And Barnabas knew that here's was key, and this is for us. There were two things that allowed him to do this. One, he was full of the Holy Spirit. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and he then regenerates, as Titus talks about, and he renews and restores, and he sets us right back on mission. And the Holy Spirit, it's yielding and surrendering. I don't belong to my own. And you know what? I'm good with that because when Jesus is Lord, I actually find life. If you try to seek life outside of Christ as Lord over all creation, you will not find life. You will find death. You'll be shaped by the things of your culture. You'll be shaped by everything else in your life. We need to find the life in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, then, he opens our eyes to notice stuff. Go, that, that person, I'm moving to that person. Go talk with them. Go, go, like pray for your friends in, in, your, in your block with, 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 your, with your block captain. Like see what God will do. Go to your, your English class. Go, go to all these different areas. What, what's up with these different segments in here? Go to the elementary schools. God is at work. He's calling us to join him. And full of faith, here's the thing about full of faith, is that full of faith is that you know and believe that God is able to complete what he started. You know and believe that when you see a glimpse of God, you don't just, just give up, right? You endure and you're trusting that God is molding this person. Sometimes that's the hardest thing. When you see a glimpse of God's grace in someone's life and, and the first time they, they don't get it, you give up like, I'm done with you. I wrestle with that. But you know, like God calls us to endure and be people of full of faith because he is at work. And that's a good news for us because we are broken people. We have all been caught up in our own circumstances. We wrestle with that. I wrestle with that each day. Stuff happens in life, right? And he calls us daily. Remember, walk with me. I'm sufficient. I'm your Lord. This is bigger than you. I'm going to use your, the persecution. I'm going to use even the suffering. As you look to me, I'm going to use this for my big picture. And as a result of Barnabas' ministry, Guess what happens again? A great many people were added to the Lord in verse 24. A great many people were added to the Lord because God was at work and they saw what he was doing. They joined him in what he's doing. And the last in 26, go down to 26C. It says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Notice they didn't name themselves Christians. They were first called Christians. And they were called Christians, not by inside, right? They, because they like wanted to start some kind of clique and saying, ah, like I feel good about being a Christian. Right? Before that, they were called followers of the way. Call me what you want. I'm going to walk with Jesus. <laughs> and now he's saying at first they were called Christians. And this was from what they would call back in the day the pagans who were not a part of the Jewish religion, right, about Judaism and, and, and the Torah shaping them, they were Gentiles, that the Jews were, they were Gentile dogs, like I was a Gentile dog, I, I, I didn't know Jesus, I, I didn't have anything at that site, I didn't have the law, and yet God says, but Jesus, I'm a fulfillment of the law, and when they preached the Lord Jesus, not only did they turn, but outsiders called them Christian, which means little Christ. These dudes love, these men and women loved Jesus so much that their life and their words exuded everything about Christ. When they sinned, they said, oh my gosh, I sinned, I confess, I got a great Savior, I'm forgiven, and I'm walking in this, and I'm going to walk with him. That's the grace of the gospel right there. So in conclusion, God is at work on our campuses, in our communities, in Malawi, around the world, how, what, we want to join him. But here's some questions. Where are you in this process? 
How may God be using persecution or suffering to move you into somewhere of his leading? What idols are you using to compete with the Lord Jesus? What are you turning to to ease your pain? It's not going to satisfy you. Turn to Jesus. What is stopping you up in following Jesus and being part of his mission, which we were created to do? Where do you need to see a fresh look at the glory of Jesus Christ and his lordship overall? Where are you struggling with that? Based on your life, what you talk about, how you relate to people, how you work, how you bless and communicate to others. I'm not talking about believers, but what would people who don't know Jesus, would they call you and me and us a little Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can be little Christ, that we can be back into this great sweeping narrative of speaking the lordship, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that one day, 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us, all things will be placed under the footstool of Jesus. And Jesus, you will give it back to the Father, that God, you might be all in all. We anticipate that day. Come, Lord Jesus. Deal with our sin. Deal with us. But I thank you that when you deal with us, you are, you are firm and stern, but you are full of loving kindness and grace and mercy. I thank you that we don't have to clean our lives up before we come to you. But we come to you as broken people. And we say, thank you, Lord, that I have nothing in on myself. I keep sinning. I keep turning back to this. But I, I, know, I, I look to you, Jesus. You are the righteous king. You are the righteous ruler. There is none like you. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would exhort us where we need to be exhorted. I pray, Lord God, that that where we might be wrestling or struggling, that we would remain true to you by your grace and your provision in the gospel, not our own strength, but the strength of your spirit, and yielding to your work and believing this gospel Jesus, I pray that we'd be satisfied in you. And then you would show us at our eyes this very week where there are idols and where there are situations that we have blown them up. Thank you that when we bring them to you, Psalm 62, 8 says, pour out your hearts before the Lord because he is your refuge. So Lord, thank you that you heal us and you, you, you call us to deal with those things, but then you say, but open your eyes. The harvest is plentiful. It's ready. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would show us this week an area that we might not have recognized before where you are at work. And God, we would not sit on our spiritual gifts any longer. God, that we would not be so concerned with stuff, but Lord, we would steward our marriages well. We would steward our neighborhoods and our friendships well, that we would be bold in proclaiming the gospel in a way that is seasoned with salt, Lord God, and making the most opportunities of, towards outsiders, Lord God, that, that we would see specifically areas where you are calling us to be a part of something. God, thank you that you expose our idols, and then you glorify Jesus, and you show us the beauty of Jesus as Lord, and you heal us, and you forgive us, And now you show us how do you be the people on mission. Teach us, Holy Spirit, along this way we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.